Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, an update on 5G in the Department of Defense with returning guest Leland Brown. Leland, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Darren, how you doing? As, and as, as I always say, you're one of my favorite people to talk to, Intel and, and not Intel. <laughs> I've completely snowed you over, Leland. I've completely <laughs> snowed you over. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. so, hey, Leland, this is your fourth time on the show. Um, yeah, I love talking to you. It's so much fun. Hey, man, listen, let's keep it, keep it going. You know, it's always informative and it's always good to, to talk to friends, especially you and others at Intel. And as, as you can see, I am wearing my Intel shirt. So Yeah, but you you're know, not with it, Intel anymore. You you jumped ship. You're over at Capgemini. Yeah. Uh, big, yeah. big, important position over there. You're um, a director of federal yeah. and a, a distinguished engineer or principal engineer. How do they work at principal? There? Yeah, principal, principal engineer and a federal director for anything around advanced comms for, for, for our defense and our aerospace. So really the goal is to develop our capabilities and present Capgemini as a capable partner within the uh, defense marketplace. And we have some strategic partnerships, including one with Intel. So I figured for this, let me take off, take out the old dusty, um, Intel shirt to put it back on, and um, I love it. Maybe maybe I'll go mow the lawn in it later on. Or... <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, no, but it, but 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 no, it's, it's always good to to work with Intel and the, and the team there. It's always uh, always great to really interface and be be a part of the team. So thank well, you. Uh, well, well, th thanks for coming on the show today, Leland. And today we're gonna we're gonna kind of lay the groundwork for five G. I mean. Yeah. There was all this hype around 5G, completely going to change everything. We've talked in, in depth about it on the podcast before, but let's get a current state. Where are we today with, with 5G in Department of Defense? Because yeah. I got 5G at home. I got a 5G little thing at home. That's not the same thing as what we're talking about here. This is very oh. different. Got a couple of 5G phones here, the whole nine. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, very different. Yeah. It's very different. So, let's dive in. Do, do you want to talk about the use cases first and then the state well, of the adoption? I, how do you want to approach this? Well, you know what? I'm going to hit timelines, you know, and as you stated, this is my fourth time one. And so, in our past discussions, you know, we talked about the uh, historical context of this. I think it would be great as a, uh, as a uh, baseline today. So, you know, I go back working with the Department of Defense back in the early 2000s. And, you know, as I mentioned, my first job was out of the uh, Communications and Electronics Command out of Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, before they closed the base down. And back then, you know, it was really the goal of that group, which I was under the Space and Terrestrial uh, Communications Directorate, was to really take commercial technologies and I would say position them to be adopted by the Department of Defense. So what does that mean? Doing a lot of field trial testing, um, working with a lot of the different um, ecosystem system integrators at the time to deploy systems. And there were a couple of programs back then that were geared towards that whole 
uh, commercial technology uh, adoption strategy. One was called Joint Tactical Radio Service. That's a four-letter word to some people within the uh, defense marketplace nowadays. Uh, you may hear it's called Jitters. Um, there were other programs called Net Warrior, uh, FBCB2, for, for Brigade Command and Control. Um, a lot of different programs that they were driving back then to adopt what was then the 2G, 3G platforms, what was then known as wireless LAN, even Bluetooth at the time. The goal, try to develop a common radio stack or architecture that can be used across the joint forces. So Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, even some level of multi-dimensional or say multi-domain, but the, you know, the, the, the overall goal was how can you get a common radio architecture that can be utilized by all the joint forces using a common waveform portfolio. I think it was 32 waveforms at the time. And you know, a lot of upside, a lot of promise. Downside was everything was really you know, a, a, a proprietary architectures. A lot of that controlled by the uh, system developers at the time. So it was just hard for the Department of Defense to get a true common stack when you have all these proprietary architectures being presented as a solution. So what happened was you got a whole lot of split architectures out there, right? You know, uh, L3 Harris had their own JHRS compliant radios. Um, I won't say Lockheed Martin because it really wasn't a radio house, but let's say General Dynamics, a couple of other system integrators that have probably been um, absorbed over the past few years, ITT industries and the like. Um, so, you know, in, in a way, the program, is, I won't say crash and burn, but I said that four-letter word because of a lot of frustration out there. When you mentioned ATRS, I usually see a person's face kind of cringe a little bit, say, oh, man, what happened with that? But billions of dollars. Yeah, so you attribute that to yeah you attribute that to the vendors not playing nice with each other basically not following a common standard. I mean, we see this in well, Department of Defense all the time with with the yeah. um, the big systems integrators. Hey, I want something proprietary because it locks me in. That's a problem. Right, it is. It, it's and it's something that's caused a lot of a lot of frustration over the years. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm being very open and honest here because. You know, hopefully this podcast is seen by tons of people at the same time. You know, some of those viewers are, are going to be system integrators, I'm hoping. And the reality is when you look back here at this picture on my wall back here, that represents uh, Net Warrior. That's it. I made that 2002. And when I always look at it, the key thing that comes to mind is, one, when I was working on this pro program, there were soldiers that we had presented these, these uh, platforms to, and, and and they all told us, hey, this we, we need this to work, and if it's not going to work across the uh, joint forces, what is the point of it? So you're right, a lot of internal SI or system integrator focused efforts on their own platforms to ensure that they have a level of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, dominance. Competitive advantage. Yeah, right, yeah, right. competitive advantage. Yeah. So has, have things changed with 5G? So just to kind of go, go down this this, this, this uh, historical track a little bit, what came out of that was, you know, 2016, a new technology architecture came into play, 5G, at least the hope of it, right? You know, we were still pre-commercial, but, 
you know, the Department of Defense saw that and said, hey, this may be our opportunity to finally have a commercial stack that can be deployed across the battle space that is now a uh, software-defined virtualized architecture. And that's the key thing. There were some key aspects around 5G that was very attractive. And I'm saying was, not that, not that we're past it, but you know, at that point in time. One is based on a very powerful general purpose um, hardware, i.e. Intel. You know, it's, you know, from, from that point in time, you know, a lot of the, C, the CPUs are far more powerful than what you saw within the early 2000s. So that's one. Uh, two, that the, there was a virtual a virtualization of the hardware layer to become a software defined layer. So now you can deploy. You remember I mentioned these these uh, portfolio of uh, waveforms and you can software define that layer and now have multiple waveforms on on, on one architecture, software defined as compared to hardware defined. So it really opens up the capability, right? The functional blocks of 5G can be uh, disaggregated or let's say distributed across different uh, uh, compute servers where, you know, that just wasn't the case back then. So now you can spread the functionality of the system across the battle space and even have systems that can kind of shift over, you know, to, 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 to another function. Let's say the baseband can now shift over to the RU or, or what have you. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the utilization of unlicensed bands. And then on top of that, the overall open, open, uh, open architecture. So that became a very attractive element. So in 2019, to kind of fast track this, they started a program called the 5G Requests for Prototype Proposals and backed that up with not only consortiums that were driving out these different uh, the, uh, proposals, but they had funding tracks, $600 million worth of funding, one to the first trench one RPPs in 2020. Uh, there was an OTA called Spectrum Forward that was funding, I believe, parts of trench one and even trench two RPPs. And I think the experimentation sites, there's north of 15 different experimentation sites across the country. And when Joe Evans was leading that effort out of OSD, the goal back then was to say, hey, let's take quote 5G and do a lot of experimentation so that the Department of Defense can get the capabilities out of the technology that maybe the commercial side wouldn't you know, develop because there's no real path to, to our revenue. And that's where we stood from, let's say, 2019 to early 20, well, late, well, late 2022, early 2023. That was the foundational aspect of the adoption of the uh, technology. Okay, so so let's take let's take a look. What what makes 5G different? I just want to reiterate what what I think I heard you say. Right. Um, the virtualization gave me flexibility, so I could deploy several different. Um, technologies with the same hardware layer, which means right. flexibility, um, reliability. Uh, I could distribute it. There's a lot of benefits to that. Money was there uh, to help support the research uh, funding. Right. And there was a consortium of vendors that came together and said, we need a standard. Is right. that what I, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. And, and, you know, you hear a lot of times in terms of 5G, hey, the the greatness of it is it can give you faster data rates and throughput and you know you can you can watch netflix and download videos no doubt that exists when you say 5g and i'm going to hit this point next is 
the term 5G kind of puts that thought process in your head, right? Like you think of a cell phone, you think of the uh, use case of a uh, cell phone, you say 5G. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, so for the DOD, that doesn't necessarily align up to the goals here, right? You know, <laughs> Hey, let, let me call and talk to my uh, my right. general on what I should do. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't make sense. Exactly right. You know, so I, I was always, and Darren, you and I have talked about this, I was always a little adverse to the, to the 5G monitor being placed on the efforts of the uh, DOD around this. Everything that I talked about didn't mention 5G. It mentioned the architecture. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So that's always been the true adoption strategy is to adopt the architecture because now it gives you, as you stated, a far more flexible system that can be flexed to these different use cases that can be spread across the uh, joint first forces and even can go multi-domain. Terrestrial, satellite. well, and and it can handle multiple vendors, right? Multiple that's, vendors, right? That's so, the other key thing is, I can have interact um, interaction between the different vendors, integration uh, between the different solutions, which is which is critical. Oh yeah, yeah, and and, and you know the the underlying technology is it was a significant architectural shift away. As I mentioned, there were a lot of proprietary platforms, you know, Ericsson and Nokia, some of the major RAN developers have really proprietary boxes, at least for 4G on back. And when 5G came along, it really opened up and I would say unlocked the vendor block that the Department of Defense was really concerned with. And as you mentioned, back when they were trying to do this under JTRS, was a lot of lockdown of the vendors and it really didn't allow new players to come in. So this is a commercial adoption strategy along with the, the Department of Defense wanting to have access to the technologies to enable their use cases, right? And a lot of use cases, you know, you can talk about tactical radios, you can talk about unmanned, unmanned systems, um, data points at the edge, uh, synthetic training environments, of course, base networks, but really, I would say on-premise systems, you know, and the private network aspect of uh, 5G was really important because now you can have an on-premise network that's totally decoupled away from a carrier. Highly attractive, right? I mean, you don't want to have, you know, the uh, having a uh, dependency on a carrier when you wanted to deploy a private network. When Especially in wartime, right? I mean, exactly, right, exactly. Right. You, right. you want so, you want that flexibility. You don't want dependencies. I, I get exactly. it. This is fascinating because it, it sounds like the military um, has fallen behind in some technology. So now they're going to common commercial, um, common commercial offerings as their base now. Uh, well, is that is that completely true for five G? So let's provide some some clarity with this here. It's 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 known or at least uh, accepted that the largest investor into the adoption or to or the proliferation of 5G technologies has been the Department of Defense. And it's spending billions of dollars on this, right? Augmented with the fact that there's two driving factors which kind of shifts over to the next point. What has changed, right? Um, when you looked at from, 20, from, from 2019 to 2022, the goal was to experimentations. Then something happened. Another gentleman came in and took over the overall strategy under the office of the Secretary of Defense. His name is Tom Tom Rondo. He, he comes from DARPA, 
And I've, you know, I've known I've known Tom for a while. And then speaking to him, when I knew that he was coming over, as I said to myself, things are going to change here. Because the goal is to get systems that are deployable out there, not necessarily experimentations, you know, to be turned. Yeah, move out of experiments in the lab exactly. into something. Yeah, I can actually exactly use right. It. So really, his goal coming in was to say, okay, we're going to shift the focus here. We're going to go from quote five G experimentation, and this is the first time I actually heard someone within the DoD use the term ORAN specifically, meaning keying in on what the architecture focus points are. And then yeah. stating that explicitly, you know, to to to, to the uh, commercial and any and any uh, defense and marketplace, and then stating we're going to have something in place right now to get these into deployable solutions. So we're going to start to move our focus away from experimentation to figure out what can we get out here soon and fast. And there's a lot of forcing functions, you know, beyond that. You know, there's a need to have a benefit for the nation as a whole to be a lead point. And if it isn't 5G, what's coming afterwards, right? You know, right, right, right now we can say that 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 the U.S. isn't necessarily leading in 5G technologies. At the same time, there's a lot of geopolitical forces out here that require us to have deployable solutions very soon. I'm not going to get into those discussion points, but I think yeah, they're all yeah. happening, right? So. There's a forcing function. Those forcing functions, along with the fact that, as you mentioned, they don't, they don't necessarily want to be in this vendor lock with these big players, keeping out the innovation of some of the smaller players. You know, which which you see a lot of you know innovation coming in some of these smaller companies. So he's come in and basically stated, "Hey, um, in many ways, if you show me another PowerPoint slide, <laughs> that won't be be enough. I need a deployable solution." So a lot of the effort now is one fo focusing in on what parts of the spec need to be uplifted or let's say driving a lot of investment strategy in to ensure that the Department of Defense is getting that augments with the fact that if the commercial space uses it or not, at least it's been developed. Right. So what drives that? Of course, is funding. Right. Use case requirements. You know, how can you start to scale this in between both the commercial and federal sectors? to make it not necessarily a path to to our revenue, but at least a value add for the support for the nation as a whole. So that's been the shift away from so experimentation. That, that's an interesting that's an interesting position uh, for me to hear. The Department of Defense is actually funding commercial 5G. I, it yeah. makes sense, right? Because look, how I have 300, 300 million people in the United States. How many are using 5G every day? 200 million have their own phones. That's 200 well, million testers, right? So that's two, you're, you're proving out the technology in a really great way that can then be leveraged by the DOD um, for their comms. I think, I think it's actually a brilliant um, move. And we're not locked into this proprietariness that we've had in the past, which as I'm glad you explained it, these big companies they're so bureaucratic, they can't innovate anymore. So the new architecture, the ORAN architecture, or the, you know, opens it up. So now I can have new um, innovative startups that are doing new and interesting things instead of, instead of being so risk averse, they can't make any, any decision. They can't, they can't innovate anymore. So right. I think and, and, it's a great, a great business model. I, it, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, we, exactly. So when we look at things like microelectronics commons, 
right? That's an uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The ME Commons right? uh, project, yeah. Exactly, ME Commons are part of that track. Is multiple technology development tracks, but you know, it, there's a track for five G, six G, and that really provides a level of innovation between smaller and larger players, right? You know, you have companies like Intel, you know, large large player in this in this space and working with smaller companies, you know, developing hubs and cores that key in on these different technology points. And it really fosters this innovation track. And this kind of keys into under the office of the Secretary of Defense, it's a, pro, it's a program called Raider, uh, Research Defense Innovation Reserve or something like that. I may have gotten that wrong. Um, but the goal of that is to foster innovation. So a lot of the goals that Dr. Rondeau is driving feeds into the Raider objective. And that and that objective is to have these cross-functional teams. And now as these experimentations go into deployable programs, they're going to transition a lot of these experimentation sites over to the DOD CIO office to now drive it towards a deployable solution. And we're going to start to see the first phase of that come out in late October, I believe. Um, you said October, we're going to start seeing, you know, these more things with, with Raider. What about practical? When am I going to start seeing 5G deployments in DoD, or am I already starting to see them like battlefield ready, not experiments or one-offs? When right. am I going to see like some 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 real meat on this bone? So 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 a uh, great point. So so there's two tracks that are going to come. Well, three three tracks. One, what I mentioned, transition of some of these experimentation sites to, to right. the uh, DoD CIO office to, to turn them into programs of record. Third track, you're going to see out of the um, out of Tom Rondo's office um, an acceleration track in terms of hardening some of these solutions along three technical lines. Uh, unlimited software-defined radio platforms, meaning getting, I won't say experimentation, but getting a, 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 deploy, a, a focus on deploying systems that have unlimited SDR. Um, Hyper-dimensional software-defined networking, meaning we look at the dimensions of the data, I, data AI, uh, connectivity, having that as a, that's forming what you call a data fabric across the battle space, driving some, you know, um, I would say uh, re research and development within those areas, along with mobile IP protocols, right? That's the second track. You're going to start seeing some uh, some RFPs come out down that area. And then the third track is there are companies that are there, or at least groups of companies that are saying, hey, we can provide you a, a, a deployable solution now. Example, uh, Capta uh, Gemini is working with Intel along with some other OEMs and software developers to actually build a deployable solution now, right? And present that, you know, and we're not the only group that's talking this way at this point because we realized the call. The call now is let's get out of this experimentation focus point and get Yeah, yeah. We, we need to actually support. produce something now. Let's right. get it done. And there's, and there's companies literally right there. I mean, I'm a firm believer that if we really put some efforts together, you can see something that's deployable very soon. 
very soon. If not, just taking you know the legal pieces and popping them to, to, to and popping them. Together. So you right. think the technology is mature enough where I can actually put this in the battlefield? Not a problem. I do. I do. I, I say the the only thing right now that that's the struggle, right? And it's the hardest to me, in my opinion, the hardest part of the engineering effort is there's an interoperability issue between two of the functional blocks. So, you know, when we talk 5G, I tend to say there's five functional blocks. You have the core where a lot of your services would sit, right? And then you have parts of the RAN, the central unit or CCU, the uh, distributed unit or DU, and then the radio unit or RU, CU, DU, RU to me make up the RAN. And then the fifth part is the, uh, is the edge computer, the MEC. Right. And we could talk about edge orchestrations and everything else. But to yeah, me, the, we talk all day about that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So the interoperability between the RU unit and the DU is where you see a lot of issues right now. There's very little U.S. based radio developers right now because it takes a lot of engineering effort to do an interoperability between the DU and RU. So when you say open RAN or ORAN, really you're talking about the interop between those two functions. Between those 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 three things in the in the middle, right? Well really the, CCU, the RU and the DU, right? Well so the CUDU is considered the baseband function and a lot okay. of that has been virtualized. Like for instance, Intel's Flex RAN is a virtualization that companies come in, they build what they call layer two, layer three, CUD functions on top of that. Uh, but I'm really referring to the uh, between the distributed unit which drives the drives the uh, RU there's very few interoperable RUs across multiple DUs right now. And that's an effort that's going to have to start to ramp up. There's a lot of innovation and requirements. In those so, so if I'm a graduate, if I'm a, a graduating uh, this year from uh, my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering or signal processing, that's where I want to go. You're saying I, there's I would, a shortage. I would say, yes, I mean, there's a lot of need there. I have a tendency to want to fill 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 the gaps, Darren. That's a gap <laughs> right that's now. A, yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's a gap. Yeah. So all, I mean, all you uh, all you students that listen to the podcast, all you know, um, ten thousand of you. There you go. There, there's yeah. a job. If you want hey. a secure job for a long time, you got it right there. Hey, get into software defined radios. Um, you know, you know, to me, STEM is always something like, of course, you know, I, I uh, mentor young students in this area, especially high school students, not telling them to say, hey, we need gap fulfillers. We need people who can really innovate. So you are spot on. So thank you for bringing no. that up. But um, but yeah, you know, those are, you know, the next stage of the, of the challenges. So and the, the focus point that I see coming up is the deployment. And well, in 2024, uh, my my hope is that we will start to see deployable solutions and we're going to start to drive this into things that can be actually positioned to, to the soldier to uh, take on. And I think we're, we're, we're very close to that. And I think we have a good lead point within the OSD that's going to drive that effort. Um, I think it, and I think it went, it went, it went down the appropriate steps, you know, when Joe Evans was leading it, trying to understand what are we adopting here? So those experimentation sites, they did add value. They did. But well, of course. Yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. But as I mentioned with JTRS, it's always in the back of the mind. Are we going to go down the same track? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, of course. How can we avoid that? Right. So that's always been kind of in the back. So how can we? And, you know, now to have that shift point to say, hey, no, 
we're going to turn this into something that can be deployed. That's the goal now. So um, I really am hoping to see some deployable solutions and some of the things that, that, that we are well, working. Yeah, I mean, this has been this has been kind of your baby for 18 years. Yeah. You, yeah, you know, I, a long time. yeah, you know, Darren, I, I thought about it when I first started this back in CECOM, my oldest child was five. He'll be 28 this year. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> so, that makes you old, man. Old man. Yeah. Man, so that makes it, you old. Yeah. So he's, he's, he, he told me about two months ago, I said, dad, you've been talking about this all my life. I said, yeah, I have. Yeah, so his his entire lifetime, but it's an exciting time. I really think we're there in a state to, to get so close. It's, uh, it sounds yeah. like it's ready to go. Let's let's make this thing happen. Yeah, yeah let's let's make it happen. I said the partnership between Intel and Cap Gemini is something I'm really pushing. Um, I felt being a far more effective partner on this side of the track for the Intel team. I think it's important and we can really start to drive some more solutions uh, uh, together here, along with some of the other ecosystem partnerships out there. So, Well, it, it is an exciting time when, when you put that much effort into, into changing the world, which is what you're doing. Uh, you're changing the industry. You're, you're moving things forward. Leland, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I learn so much every time I talk to you. It's so much fun. <laughs> Well, Darren, like I said, you know, you are one of my favorite people and uh, really, yeah, let's keep this going. One happy to bring in some of the other Intel players, Anna, Rob Watts, uh, Stan Mo. I'll, I'll do some name, name drops of some of the famous people on the team. So, yeah, anytime, Darren. Thank you so much for this. Sounds, sounds good. Thanks, Leland. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.